0: So again, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Midtown Creve Hall, and I'm um, thankful to be here with you today. In, in one of my previous ministry lives, I had the opportunity to be a worship director. Uh, and so much like Janie, I was doing all of the ins and outs of the weekly service and kind of learning a lot as I went. I had not been trained in music. I did no formal anything growing up. Uh, I didn't even pick up a guitar until, you know, pretty deep into college. So when I learned that working in a band is very different than working just by myself with an acoustic guitar. I didn't learn that though until I started leading the thing. Because I would get up there and I would have my guitar and in my paradigm, all of the noise had to come from here. It either had to come from my mouth or it had to come from my acoustic guitar. And I had to fill up the whole room with just that because I was leading camps and doing that kind of thing. And that was just what you did. Then you put a whole bunch of other instrumentalists with me and the sound guy would like, I can't do it. I was gonna knock on the microphone, but I think I'll probably break this if I do that. But he'd be like, hey, Jeremy, will you just play less? And I'd I'd be like, ow, that hurts. And I think you're wrong because you don't know how awesome this strumming is. And what I came to learn, he then showed me very graciously uh, this. If you've heard of Paul Balash, he's a a worship musician and, and band leader, has been for years. And he did this series of YouTube videos about band arrangement. And what he began to teach is that he talked about the sound spectrum, and you got the lows, you got the mids, you got the highs, and everybody kind of has their little spot in the band to fill. One person is not trying to fill that entire sound spectrum like I was trying to do. Maybe if it's only you, but if you've got an entire band, everybody has their little pocket. Everybody has their little place. And when you mess that up and you get on top of each other, then you can sound just absolutely horrid. But when everybody with humility lives into that reality that leading a band is a lot more about listening than it is about playing, that's when you can have some real fun as a musician. That's when you can have some real fun, both leading and arranging music. So life got a lot more fun in that particular job when I began to learn that. And then come to find out that very same principle is true in any, anything that you're relating to another human being with. If you add the ingredient of humility to that, community begins to grow in a way that if you've got two people just competing for their self-interest, it never will. And life gets a lot more fun and enjoyable as you do. Because who doesn't want healthy relationship? Who doesn't want a healthy workplace? Who doesn't want a healthy family? Who doesn't want a healthy friend group? Uh, Who doesn't want a healthy small group here? Who doesn't want a healthy church? Turns out, though, if you've been in, you know, in human relationship, which all of us have in various ways for very long, you realize it's a lot harder than we expect To, to live into some of the realities that, like last week, Jesus said, just love God and love everybody else. Sure, Jesus that'd be great. Just help me figure out how. That's where we're headed this week. Because the key ingredient of healthy relationship is humility. And so what the passage that we're going to work through today helps us to do is to understand that dynamic. How does, how do I get humble? And then how does that humility begin to form a healthy community? That's where we're going. And to help us get there, we're going to have Cat Shiby come up and read for us. So she is reading Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Here is your paper.
1: Okay, this is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, for you to God. Thanks, Kat. So there it is. For healthy community, for healthier relationship, just count others more significant than yourself. How'd that go this week? How'd that go in your marriage? Uh, how'd that go with that coworker? How'd that go... With your child? Uh, how did that go with the person who ran the stop sign in front of you? Whatever the context is, we ro- constantly are running into other people. We're constantly brushing up against relationship, and the opportunity is there to either go self taking or to go self giving. So last week, we really tried to focus on how the gospel reorients us to love God and love neighbor. And a person who walks around loving God and loving neighbor begins to create a centrifugal force around them that draws other people to them. And then gospel community begins to form. But the question this morning that we're really trying to answer is, how does the gospel change relationship? How does the gospel promote and create healthy relationship? I'd say in these two ways. And these are our two points this morning. First, Jesus humbles me by humbling himself. And second, Jesus humbles us as I humble myself. So that's where we're headed. Normally, though, we're going to kind of flip the the normal flow of a sermon. If you've been around, you know, church for a while, you kind of get that, you know, maybe two thirds of the way to the end, then we'll start talking about Jesus. We'll kind of apply whatever problem we've been talking about and how Jesus is the solution for that thing that's great. And that's a wonderful way. That's kind of the flow of the scriptures. That's why that happens. So what I'm doing though, is trying to say that there's a unique way that this passage helps us both this week and next week. There's very specific application that says, because Jesus was this way, we now have the power to be that way. And so we're going to organize ourselves in those two ways. First, looking at Jesus. And then as we look at Jesus, beginning to ask the question, how does that then change me and how does that change us? So let's jump right in to the middle of the passage in verse five and just think about Jesus for a minute. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Two things that are important to point out about this part of the passage. The first is, have this mind among you is an imperative. That means a command. That means do this. Have this mind among you. Now, God never tells you to do anything that you don't have the ability to do. And so, having this mind among you, this is an objective reality. Now, we have to live into the subjective, the feeling of this, but this is an objective reality. Why? Go on. Which is yours in Christ? What this is saying is that anyone who is in Christ, anyone who has trusted in him for their salvation, anyone who has believed in Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit but the very Spirit that animated Jesus himself, giving him the power to do everything he did as he lived? Now, is in you. And that may be something you've heard before, that may be brand new. But either way, it's very hard for us to connect that statement with the reality of how we live with ourselves and our thought life and our feeling life the majority of the time. So then let's go on. What does it mean to, mean to have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ? By the way, the mind that it's talking about is coming on the heels of talking about humility. So the mind of Christ is the mind of humility. How do we get it? Let's move on. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. It is incredible to imagine that there was a point in history when Jesus was not human. Always fully God, yes. But there is a point in time when Jesus became incarnate. As the Apostles' Creed says, being born of the Virgin Mary, he took on flesh. Prior to that, though, he was full God in full glory in unrestrained abandon, living in full joy with Father, Son, and Spirit together and then what is it like for you when you are maybe you've babysat before or you have your own children and you have to constrain yourself down so that your child can understand what it is that you're trying to say to them? There, there is a lowering and a squeezing in of yourself. Now consider the most glorious being that has ever existed constraining himself into that which he created. It's wild to consider that. That is the beginning of what it means for Jesus to have humbled himself. That is a humble posture for the creator of all things to constrain himself to feel gravity, to feel time, to feel the the pressure of, of the pain of life, of anxiety and fear, of the struggles of temptation, and ultimately of suffering and death. If, if God created those things, for him to have to enter into those things is massively constraining and had to have been a massive challenge. Let's go on. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. So that was like stage one of humbling was just becoming a man. Still fully God, but now fully man as well. Experiencing life in the same way you and I do yet without sin. Next, being found in human form, then he humbled himself again by becoming obedient to the point of death. So there's the double-decker humility of Jesus. Not only does he humble himself and become human, but then he humbles himself and dies. And then look a little bit further, even death on a cross. So not only does God, unconstrained and glorious, become constrained in time and space to a human form, but then he constrains himself to die, but then he constrains himself to die even an excruciating and humiliating death naked on a cross, which was the ultimate in despicableness to be naked on a cross for all to see the triple-decker humbling of Jesus begins to create a new reality for us. Because if the giver of life died, if the creator of all things was destroyed, it feels like something in the fabric of creation would just unravel for that to be true. But that is exactly what it took. And that is the only thing that could bring a salvation that which he gave us. Now, here's what's especially unique. Those are kind of like theological propositions. Sure, you could write a book on that, write a paper, whatever. Hopefully, this will bring in a little bit more into our living rooms and into our hearts. What was Jesus's, if he was human, he experienced emotions like you and I do. What was his experience of this triple-decker lowering of himself? Listen to how Thomas Goodwin, the old Puritan pastor and writer, describes it. He says, Christ's own, listen to the words, joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by what? By when his people are awesome and glorifying him amazingly? Nope. By his showing of grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. So, what is Jesus' experience of that humbling and then humbling again and then humbling again? What does Hebrews 12 say? For that joy, he did all that. For the joy of bringing us joy, he did that. So, what's his experience of humility? He pairs humility and joy. What do we pair humility with? Blah! That feels like an emotion. We pair humility with with like every awful emotion we could consider. That is like, I don't want to do that. I want to keep that as far away from myself as I can. That sounds like a less than life, a less than existence. And Jesus is here to say, and this passage is here to say that, no, in fact, it's not that Jesus got it wrong or is it somehow unique, it Is that that is full humanity. If Jesus became a human and that's his experience of humility, and he created us, then that should be our experience of humility. Humility should be this great, joyful experience in our life. I get to give of myself again. Hooray! I get my schedule interrupted again. Hooray! But as we know, that's not how we exist. And that's not that there's something wrong with Jesus, it's that there's something wrong with me. Because my joyometer is so off. It's been flipped. It's been inversed. The polarity has been reversed, where I, do, I no longer pair excitement with giving. No, I, I pair excitement with Christmas morning where I get and get and get. And the entrance of Jesus into the world and the entrance of the Holy Spirit into our hearts is to flip that switch back and say, no, it is better to give than to receive. And for the Holy Spirit, over the course of time, to begin to take those jagged edges of our hearts and soften them by grace. So I coached soccer for uh, a handful of years and there was always something that was so good. The, the goal of coaching like little league soccer, little biddies in soccer is just to get them to move this paradigm in their head. Not grab the soccer ball, take it by yourself all the way down to the goal, knock over anybody in your way and score. No, the win is, even if you have a kid who's a total stud who can do that every time, even with them, what I'm constantly harping back on is look up, look up, look up, and pass the ball. Look up and pass the ball. And when that begins to happen in practices, and when that begins to happen in games where they are looking up, they're looking for other people, beginning to work as a team and not by themselves, they both enjoy the game more, because they're not just running up and down the field, and they actually start to win. And so, this dynamic is not totally lost on us. The idea of self-giving can bring more joy, but our natural reaction is that, Mm-mm, not today. I got too much going on. There's too much trouble in my life. I got to pay attention to me. So, the work of Jesus is to begin to draw us to that level of humility but what gets in the way then of good community what gets in the way according to verse 3 and everything that we've just described that naturally comes out of us verse 3 says what gets in the way of community is selfish ambition and conceit selfishness kills community you're aware of this you don't have to look far you don't have to look far in your family. You don't have to look far in the political sphere. You don't have to look far in your work environment to find that this is the truth. And yet we continue to double down on, but if, if I just, if I just, then maybe it'll be different. Maybe my selfishness will have a different outcome this time if I just convince them that they're the problem. But let's turn the mirror back on ourselves for one more minute. Because... First, Jesus humbles himself, and then Jesus humbles us together. It's a humbling experience just to be in community, isn't it? It's a humbling experience to join a small group and show up every week, and you never know exactly what's going to happen. It's a humbling experience to invite someone over for dinner for the first time and not know how that interaction is going to go. It's a humbling experience just to show up here and shake a hand and see what happens. But could it not be that this is where life and joy is found? Because to come to Jesus is to be humbled. Because not only was it out of sheer joy that Jesus came, it's also out of sheer necessity. There's no other way. There's no other way to be right with him. God is too holy and we are too fallen. There's no other way that that gap could be filled except for the work that Jesus did. And so to raise your hand and say, I need Jesus that much is an automatically humbling experience to say, I can't get to God on my own. I can't do Monday on my own. I need help. That is a self-lowering. But for all who have at least taken that first step in that self-lowering, you find the sense of joy being birthed inside your heart then you begin to take a group of people collectively who believe that, who have been humbled by Jesus, who see that it was not only for his joy, but also out of necessity that he came, became a man, died, rose again for me. What kind of community does that begin to create? What kind of community? The, um, the book Leading with a Limp has always stuck in my head by Dan Allender. That's kind of what I imagine this life communally together being, that we're, we're leading in the sense that our heads are up, we're moving in a direction, we see that we're loved and cared for, and, and that Jesus has done that great work for us, but we also have this limp that we continue to walk around with where we still know and are very aware, keenly aware of all of our sin and brokenness that we still carry along with us. And as we walk with this limp, it begins to draw others towards us, not away from us, because we don't have it all put together. That's the beginning of the dynamic of humility that can bond people together, where you say, oh, you've got a limp, i got a limp too. Like, why don't we limp along together and trust Jesus together to grow us in himself? It creates what Tim Keller, in this little book that I highly recommend called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, how he describes Humility. So, this is a quote from that book. If we were to meet, I think we have it up there, yes, if we were to meet a truly humble person, he's commenting on a quote that C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. So, if we were to meet a truly humble person, Lewis says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually self-obsessed. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel-humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself It is an end to such thoughts as I'm in this room with these people, does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings what kind of church could form, what kind of family could form, what kind of workplace could form, what kind of school, students who are going back in just a few weeks, what kind of classroom could form if self-forgetful people walked in and began to engage with one another? What kind of joy would come out of that? What kind of fun would come out of that? What kind of life would come out of that? like our call to worship said that's where life is you want to know what thriving is there it is and lord willing even by being here this morning there is a at least a small taste of that that we are all collectively here pointed in one direction and that direction is Christ and that begins to create a commonality that no other uh, competing agenda can get in the way of every tribe every tongue every nation can get in line with Jesus. Paul goes on in the next chapter um, to say this. He says, I, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that your citizenship is in heaven. And for him to say that, he's, he's been creating this argument throughout Philippians. Philippians is this massive book of encouragement. And what he's creating, the image he's creating is very similar to what he does in our very first sermon that we did here in 2 Corinthians 5, in this series, where he says, don't forget, you're an ambassador for King Jesus in foreign soil here. And so to be a citizen of another world means we live here, but we represent that other world in this one. And part of the way that we represent that other world in this one is not only how we live individually, but it is very much how we live and community together. And there are constant places, and we're gonna hit a few of them in the next few weeks, that tie together that the community of the people of God existing in a foreign place is what many people will look at and go, I want that. I don't get how you do that. My political world won't do that. My family world won't do that. All I see is hatred and envy and strife and selfish ambition and conceit you guys seem to have something different. What is that? How do you do that? Where do you get the power for that? That's the community that Jesus is building even here. So a couple of uh, applications as we close up. The first is this. I don't want to be naive, though, about the reality of church hurt. To say that this, this is what we are all moving towards, to talk about Midtown Cree Hall for a minute, to say that this is what this church is moving towards does not mean this church has arrived. Those are very different things. And so I do want to spend a second just to dignify if you have been hurt by the church in the past. That is fair and valid. And there are very real reasons to even be skeptical of church to even be skeptical of sermons like this that make big promises and then your experience does not see that delivered so I want to validate that that is a reality that happens and there are, there are churches especially that have taken advantage in, uh, in some pretty awful ways and for that I'm sorry the other thing to note though is that Christianity is the only relationship, the only place, the only belief system where you get the verdict before you get the values. You get the not guilty because of the work of Christ before you get the life change. So what does that mean? When you collect a bunch of people who have the gavel come down, not guilty, but they're all kinds of messy, and Jesus is still in the middle of working in every one of them, and they're not fully arrived, then you're going to have a community that's going to be messy. You're going to have a family that's going to be messy. You're going to have relationships that are going to be messy. Please don't use that as a a means to say, then I I just won't do it. It's too hard. You are missing out on joy. And the great invitation, as hard as staying in community, as hard as staying connected with other people is, that there is more life to be found there than to stay at an arm's distance with people. That is how the Trinity has always existed in and of himself, and that is what he opens up to us, to be a part of that with him and to be a part of that with one another. The churches in Corinth, the churches in Galatia, a lot of the places where Paul is in the middle of ministering, even churches that this guy, the apostle of all apostles, planted, they were wrecks. But listen to how In the beginning of Corinthians, he addresses the Corinthians, this wreck of a church. To those sanctified in Christ, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. He's calling out their value. He's saying, don't forget who you are. And that's what we do every week here. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget that for all who have trusted in Jesus, the gavel's already down. He loves you for no other reason than he loves you. He's taking care of everything about your life, past, present, and future. And that is what begins to pick your head up, to say, don't forget, don't forget, you're gonna go back into your week, and stuff's gonna get messy, and you're gonna forget. Don't forget. That's who you are. So continue to be transformed as Jesus works in you. And that's the beginning of a beautiful community. So... With that, just a couple of final things to note that can hopefully help you to walk into, if, if this is an invitation that sounds at least in some way, shape, or form desirable, and you would like to live into what that means to be involved in community here uh, at Midtown Creve Hall. There's both men's and women's ministries that are currently happening. The, the men meet uh, every first Friday at Black Abbey, the brewery off of Sidco. Uh, and there's no agenda to that. It's literally just show up and see who's there and hang and have a drink and enjoy and get to meet some people. Uh, the women's ministry, they are, have been meeting over the summer learning what it means to be a praying community together. Uh, and that next meeting is when? Saturday, August 6th. And that will continue, those meetings will continue into the fall. We just in the past month have launched a young professionals group here which has been super fun, uh, to, to lead and to also be a part of, uh, and that's been a super big blessing. So if any of those categories hit you, uh, not to mention the youth ministry just got done with a whole week of camp together. Uh, they served around the city. They got together at night and worshiped and then did massively fun games, uh, during the, during the evening after dark and just had a ton of fun. So, uh, Any one of those allow opportunities wherever you find yourself to be involved uh, further, to take another step into life together. And then to see what Jesus does. Because if you look at the way that Jesus lived in humility, he put himself out there consistently, ultimately in his death. He puts himself in the way of death, and then he waits. He waits for resurrection. He does not resurrect himself. He waits for the Father to resurrect him. and So, so much of living in community together is putting ourselves in the way of it and then seeing, will Jesus bring a moment of resurrection in this? Will he bring a moment of life? Will he birth a forever friendship? You never know. But if you don't put yourself in the way of it, you know where you'll end up. Um, And so, the, the joy that awaits us in humble community together Lord willing, will be something that the world can look at and ask us the question. And we can have a reason for the hope that we have. Let's pray. So Father, we need you on this one. Uh, we need you to, to conform our hearts more to the image of Jesus because we just don't have it. Uh, we are so far off the mark. Our natural go-to is self-preservation all the time. So Help. Uh, help switch that switch in our hearts that we even can't get to. That as we serve brings joy instead of death. That gives us a a new sense, an eye for another person. That gives us a, a desire for community that we may not have ever had before birth new things in us, birth new things in this church, birth new things even in this room, new ideas, new creative expressions of the body of Jesus working together. And for all these things, we pray that you get the glory in Christ, amen.